I said I'll see you later and I'll give her some old chat But it's not like they on the TV when it's cool for cats, it's cool for cats for cats what a classic I mean Squeeze they were known as we call them UK Squeeze because there was a band in Australia called Squeeze it's like those racehorses from New Zealand that come over and race here and have to put our in front of their name like our poetic prince or our Waverly star or whatever this is the Overnights program and you are with Rod Quinn it is our pleasure to cross to the United States right now. Celeste Katz-Marston is our guest in Boston. And Celeste, a good morning. Welcome back to the program. Good morning. Now, we had a text a moment ago from Alex who says that Donald Trump will win the election in a landslide. What do you make of that suggestion? I mean, how close do you think the president would be in winning in a landslide? You know, it's really hard for me to say right now just because you do have polling showing Biden uh, doing pretty well and doing well specifically in a lot of important states for this election. But, you know, at the same time, there were a lot of polls in the last election that said that Hillary Clinton was going to win in a landslide. And we all know how that ended up. So uh, it's really hard to predict what's going to happen here. Uh, not only because the race is so contentious, but also because of how people are voting during this pandemic. So I, I hate to be uh, kind of wobbly on this, but uh, I've, I've been doing this long enough to know that predictions exactly. are not necessarily good business. Well, here's another one. Monty texts in, and people can text 0467 922 uh, Trump says the election uh, will be rigged because of the vote, postal voting. What, what will he say if he wins? I mean, that's an interesting thing. He's saying all the time, oh, if I lose, it's rigged. What happens if he wins? Was it rigged as well or not? Well, actually, he did say that the last election was rigged, and he won that one. Okay. So there is some sort of historical record on his uh, his feelings in, in that regard. But uh, there are some people who are legitimately concerned that he might cast doubt on the on the outcome of the election if he loses to the point of perhaps not wanting to even leave office or encouraging people to take some sort of action. We're a little far away from that, but I think that um, he definitely has been out there raising questions about the legitimacy of mail-in voting and of the election in general. So that's that's not a, sort of a fantasy. That's really happening. Uh, I think indications have been, though, that if Trump tried to stay in office, if he lost the election, the military probably would not be too keen on letting that happen. Okay. Now, one of the things about the Trump presidency, of course, is that it has been an absolute boom for the publishing business um, because so many books have come out from people who either knew Trump or worked in the White House and they want to have their say. I, goodness knows what's going to happen if he loses. I think we'll hear a lot more about what went on in the White House in that term. But the most recent is by Michael Cohen, variously described as his lawyer, Trump's fixer. You've covered Michael Cohen. Tell us about him and tell us about the book. 
He's a very interesting guy. I got to be honest. I've covered him for many years. I uh, spoke to him before certainly Trump uh, became president or, uh, you know, before he was running for president. And he's kind of this interesting figure in New York and later in national politics. And he is just what you describe. He's kind of a fixer. He kind of strong arms people. He's this very sort of uh, attack dog type guy. And I think he really reveled in that. And he really reveled in his proximity to Trump for a long time. And as you say, he just wrote a book. And the outcome of his close associations with Donald Trump was that he wrote the book from prison. So uh, that tells you something about what goes on in, in that world. But um, he came out with a book called Disloyal, in which he describes sort of being sucked into this almost cult of personality like atmosphere surrounding Donald Trump and some of the many, many underhanded things he did for the president. For example, setting up a hush money payment to, uh, you know, a, an adult model or adult actress, mm -hmm. however you might call it, um, to cover up the president's infidelities, uh, strong arming people in various real estate deals and and trying to keep uh, Trump's name from being blemished in, in all sorts of ways. And he's pretty upfront about um, the bad stuff that he did, and he's certainly attacking Trump's character. You know, it's very interesting to read this stuff, but he knows and acknowledges in the book, obviously, coming from him, how much of it do you want to believe? This is a guy who lied to Congress. So, you know, you sort of take it with a grain of salt. But um, having been witness to this, having had kind of a front row seat and talking to Michael Cohen about a lot of things, including the uh, the famous dossier that described Trump allegedly, allegedly uh, engaging in some sort of, uh, yeah. uh, I don't know, lowbrow activities with prostitutes and mm. so on. Uh, you know, it was interesting for me. Now, one of the things that uh, President Trump likes to play up, boast, some people would say, would be how much money he has. And that, people say, and Michael Cohen is one of them, and he ought to know, is the reason why we've never seen Donald Trump's uh, tax returns. Now, just about every president for the last you know, 50 years has released their tax returns uh, to show people how much they've got, how much they spent, where it comes from. Donald Trump didn't do that. At the time of the last election, he said it was because of a, a routine audit by the Internal Revenue Service. That routine audit appears to have been going on for another four years, so we've never seen it. And the, the fear that Michael Cohen says Donald Trump has is that we realise he's not a billionaire. He's not a multi-billionaire. He might only, he may not have, you know, a hundred million dollars. I don't know. Like, is that really what is scaring Trump? Because other people are saying, oh no, we'll see that money has come from Russia or from Saudi Arabia or wherever. I think it's a combination of all those things. I really do. And yes, you know, reporters have been seeking Donald Trump's tax returns for many, many years. I, you know, I count myself among those reporters. And uh, the excuse was given that he was under audit and that's why he couldn't release the records. And just to be clear, being under audit does not in any way preclude you from releasing records. So I think that the idea that people might see that he's not really worth what he says he's worth is entirely valid. Um, when he first started running, they gave us some sort of uh, summary or estimation of his worth in the billions and billions of dollars. But what we found in looking at it was that an enormous amount of that wealth was attributed to sort of the general strength of the Trump brand. It was sort of 
ephemeral. It wasn't like he had this money in the bank. He owned this many properties and he did have those things, but, um, you know, he sort of, he sort of has a tendency to exaggerate things. And we found that in his estimation of his own wealth, he did potentially exaggerate the dollar value of the Trump name and the Trump brand. So um, what's in the tax returns, clearly, if he didn't have anything to worry about, you would think that he would release the returns. Mm. But you know, you got to be careful what you say because people always, if you you know, see you as anti-Trump if you say these things. But he did boast about the size of the the win, and it wasn't as big as he said. Uh, he boasted about the size of the crowd at his inauguration, which was plain to see that it was not as big as he said that it was. So why would this be any different that he would boast about how much money he's got? He boasts about everything, and most of what he says in the things that have been reported are easily disproved. I think Cohen's point is very interesting that um, if he claims to be as, you know, as exorbitantly wealthy as he is, and, you know, that's that's fine. If he made a lot of money, then he made a lot of money, certainly inherited money. But I think the point becomes then if he made all this money, did he pay the appropriate taxes on it? Would people find a disconnect, as Cohen seems to be right. suggesting, between what he made and what he paid? Mm. Now, um one of the things that uh, I think the president is obviously hoping on in, in order to be re-elected in November is that there will be a vaccine available before. This is you know, the classic, what it's called in the US politics, October surprise, that something happens that turns the election one way or another. Now, it would be wonderful if a vaccine was available in October and they're already saying, well, maybe it'd be available for, you know, frontline health workers and all that, but... It just seems for a, for a it seems that for a, a disease that's only been around for less than a year, the idea of coming up with um, a vaccine by you know October seems far fetched, and uh, even his own medical experts are saying it won't be until the middle or late late next year. Yeah, we are really hearing that from the CDC and from other authorities that we're going to have to wait. A, a little bit longer for mass distribution of a vaccine. And there may be cases, as you say, where there is a limited supply or sort of a pilot program, if you will, um, of vaccine that's available for frontline healthcare workers or for the most vulnerable population or for the military, whatever it may be. But Trump is talking openly now about there being availability of 100 million vaccine doses by the end of this year and that the distribution could start as soon as next month. And um, we are just not hearing that from other officials who are in a position to um, to know those, those timetables. So Trump certainly wants to project that his administration is working really hard to protect the public and to get this vaccine out. You know, this is called Operation Warp Speed, the entire uh, the entire reaction or the uh, recovery plan from the virus. And as you say, Everybody would like to have the vaccine. There's no question about it. Nobody wants Donald Trump to suffer suffer some sort of political setback by having a delay in a vaccine that could potentially save people's lives. But uh, the question becomes, is Trump sort of hyping this to make the administration look like it's much closer to a vaccine than we really are? And what good does that do anybody? But is it also the case that by saying this and making people, some people think that uh, you're closer to the vaccine than they are, because then when it doesn't turn up, the president 
as he has said in the past, might say, well, the deep state stopped it, or there are forces within the government that made sure it didn't happen and they're affecting you and they're doing it deliberately to make me lose. Trump is very, very skilled at blaming other people for whatever happens to come his way. This is something that he's a skill that he's honed over many, many years and certainly during the presidency. I think the important thing to remember here is that we're talking about people's lives. I mean, as I I speak to you, we have, you know, we are approaching 200,000 deaths in the United States, well over six and a half million cases of COVID-19. This is something that we're looking at to surge also potentially in the fall and the winter as we come on the flu season. And uh, people are continuing to come down with the virus, to spread the virus, to suffer complications, even if they recover from the virus. This is a very, very serious problem. And I think that making it sort of a, a political football or a political chit is is perhaps not in the uh, is not best advised. Celeste Katz-Marston is our guest, and Celeste, there are plenty of texts coming in asking you questions. Alex says, "Is it true Trump does not take any salary but donates it back to charity?" That is true. He donates his salary, I believe, on a quarterly basis. Um, he's donated to things like the National Park Service and so on. Um, so that is true. He does not take uh, a paycheck, although there are obviously other, a few other benefits that come with, with sure. being president of the United States. Should point out, John F. Kennedy didn't take any money. All that money went to charity. Ted Kennedy, his entire time in the Senate, which was 50-odd years, did not take a cent. Robert Kennedy as well. I mean, most of the Kennedys did not take a cent while they were in office, and that all went to charity, and I suppose a lot of it would have gone to Special Olympics and things like that. Um, and uh, Glenn says, is there any chance Trump will refuse to leave the White House if he loses? I mean, technically, if he loses, of course, he's still president until the 20th of January the following year. At midday, he no longer is president. So it then, I suppose, is up to the, the chief justice to determine who the president is. Is that what do you think might happen if he refuses to leave? Well, I mean, if you're in the Oval Office and you're not the president, then you would have to have been invited there by the president. And if not, I I believe the common term would probably be trespassing. So, you know, there there are, are, are ways that uh, the criminal justice system can deal with trespassers. But obviously, you know, the United States is founded on a, the peaceful transfer of power, just like pretty much every other developed nation in the world. And so the idea that he would physically refuse to leave the White House or leave the Oval Office, I'm not quite sure how he would pull that off. I, I think that there are people who would assist him in finding the door if he could not find it himself. Do you think that, that some people, though, would march on the White House asking him to stay? Like, you know, do you think that that's a possibility? Sure. Sure I do. I mean, the guy has no doubt about it, very impassioned uh, and uh, enamored supporters. And I think that there are people, there are conspiracy theorists, there are people who are are sort of against Joe Biden, or they think that Trump should should easily win a second term because he's the incumbent, because they think he's done a good job, and so on. So yeah, you can certainly see demonstrations. There are people, There, this country is in a state of unrest as it is. One more demonstration would certainly not be surprising, but that doesn't change the fact that if it, it turns out when all the votes are, are accurately counted, that he didn't win uh, the popular vote or win the Electoral College, more to the point, because that's really how you win an election here. Um, if he doesn't win, he's not president. 
and no demonstration will change that. So if somebody marched on the White House trying to keep President Trump in office and not allow the democratically elected president to take their you know their office would should that person be charged with sedition for example sedition well that would be a you know conspiracy to overthrow the government of the United States i mean could you make that argument and you could make an argument that the person is is exercising their First Amendment rights, and that is not necessarily equal to sedition, because sedition would have to include a, an imminent sort of physical threat. Even talking about violence doesn't always qualify mm-hmm. as sedition. You have rights to, to say what you want to say, but uh, I'm not, I'm not a, a legal expert on that, but I think that would be possibly be a tough sell. I mean, if somebody someone, committed a yeah, crime, sure. that'd be one thing. Well, I mean, but there's someone who apparently is a legal ex- expert, that's the uh, Attorney General Bill Barr. He has said uh, that some people who are protesting should be charged with sedition, which, as you say, is conspiracy to overthrow the government. Yeah, Bill Barr, obviously very anxious to come down hard on the protests that have been taking place over uh, racial injustice and police brutality in this country. Uh, now, to be fair, some of those protests have gotten violent. People have gotten hurt. There have been shootings uh, and and other forms of violence. There's no question about that. But again, we've talked about this too. There's been you know, sort of a commingling in some cases of people who are marching, peacefully protesting, exercising their First Amendment rights, and then people who get in and engage in the sort of rioting and looting and burning type of stuff that you know, for is not related to the protests and certainly doesn't help their cause. But um, I think for a lot of reasons, it's helpful to the White House sometimes maybe to to conflate all those things. And Barr has talked about using the Sedition Act as a way of of punishing people who who get involved in or get caught up in all these things. Just before we leave this morning, um, it's that time of the year when the students would be normally returning to college. And as we know, Boston's a huge college town. So many well-known universities and colleges there. Let's focus on Boston College, which is a very important school in Boston. Um, What's happening with their coronavirus, the the approach that they've taken? Yeah, they're going to have a a sort of transfer of power at Boston College where the state is going to be taking over some of their uh, contact tracing Um, because they're concerned that uh, the school hasn't been able to test people enough and sort of control the spread of the virus. You do have kids getting sick, um, student athletes and so on. Uh, You have uh, colleges that are obviously set in the middle of communities and they don't want people in the surrounding communities through interactions like shopping or eating out and so on to get sick. And um, there's also been an issue with uh, not just here in Boston, but all over the country, various colleges of kids continuing to have really crowded parties where people are in very close contact, not wearing masks, not uh, observing social distancing and so on, and people are getting sick. And so this is obviously a very unique challenge for colleges and universities, and some of them obviously uh, look like they need some help. Just before we go again, though, Patton Brisbane has texted in and says, um, you know, the reason Trump will win is that Biden is a confused, no-impact, non-event. Now, do you think he's, you know, really hoping to roll the dice with 
uh, the debates where hopefully everyone, everybody will be watching and he thinks that he can beat Trump in a debate, maybe a debate on the facts or whatever or the way that the, uh, the virus has been handled. Do you think that is is uh, Biden's strategy? Because he really, you know, he's been nowhere. I mean, that's partly because, of course, the, the of the virus. But Trump has been out there. It's been all about Trump. It's not been about Biden at all. That's often the case for a challenger, I would say, first of all. And, you know, as, as your caller said, there are probably people who are not as familiar with Biden or consider him a, a what was the word, non-event. Um, yeah. You know, he's certainly been laying low. He has avoided conducting the kind of in-person events and rallies and so on that Trump has been uh, embracing in some cases. Um, it also may be part of a, a very simple strategy, which is let Trump beat himself. The guy has no... Uh, no end of ability to talk himself into a corner or to say things about, um, you know, using light to beat the virus or injecting things to beat the virus, you know, on top of all the things he usually says about about race and about uh, income and world events and so on. Uh, so in Biden's case, maybe sort of keeping their powder dry until the very end uh, can be seen as a meaningful strategy. As far as the debates, I think Biden is a, comp- uh, you know, a competent debater. Uh, Trump has his own way of expressing himself that a lot of people like, but typically debates don't decide the outcome of elections in this country with the caveat that they can get a lot of attention if somebody screws up. Yeah, fair enough. And look, if President Trump is re-elected, it'll be the first time in history that we've had four two-term presidents in a row. And I just, I never thought it would happen at the start of the term or no matter who was elected when the, the campaign began. And I still think it's possibly unlikely but boy that would be history made celeste it all happens in uh, less than two months and we'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks wonderful thanks for having me thank you celeste katz marston in boston massachusetts on abc radio with rod quinn